Happy Easter. If there are any seats between, you know, in the middle of the aisles, if you could scoot in, that would help us out. I know there's still people that are at the back of the room. Also, if you don't have a seat and you would like one, we do have uh, an overflow room in the family center where you could find a seat. We're so glad that you're here this Easter. Let's continue to sing the gospel story that Christ lived a perfect life, that he died and that he rose again. Because of that, we celebrate. Let's sing together.
and happy Easter. What an amazing way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ through baptism this morning. This is Hudson Vascar, and he's joined by his parents, Sarah Beth and Aaron, this morning. Within the last couple months, Hudson started asking questions and ended up leading to him placing his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so this morning, we get to celebrate that through baptism. There's nothing special about baptism in the way that it doesn't earn us salvation, but it's a public proclamation of our faith, of an, an outward expression of an inward change. And so before we get started, Hudson, I got one question for you, buddy. Hudson, is it your story that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior over your whole life? If so, say yes. Yes, awesome, dude. And now one question for you guys, the church. Do you guys commit to love and support Hudson as he continues in his journey to get to know Jesus throughout his whole life? If so, say, I do. Well, then Hudson, would you plug your nose for me, buddy? Would you stand up so everyone can see you, dude? Nice, dude. All right. Then it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. This morning, we have the opportunity to internalize the truth of God's word for us. That we believe Christ died, that he is risen, that he's conquered sin and death, and so we have a reason to celebrate because of this future hope. So let's continue to sing together. Lift your voice. Weight of every curse upon me. 
was actually before a tomb, a tomb that, if you can picture for a second, had a stone in front of its entrance. And it's in front of this tomb that Jesus would make a really potent promise and statement. And why don't I, let, let me just tell you the whole story. You see, Jesus had a friend and his name was Lazarus. He's a beloved friend, a known friend, a cared for friend, and actually in John we're told that Lazarus fell ill. And not just a sickness that Lazarus would get over, this becomes serious, it's leading towards Lazarus' death, and we can understand that because Mary and, Mar Mary and Martha have done everything that they can. Those are the sisters of Lazarus. They've, they've tried every option that they have to find a healing for their brother, and it just doesn't work. And in some sort of last-ditch effort, it seems like Mary and Martha begin to send word to Jesus. And we know this is probably one of their last efforts to find healing for Lazarus because Jesus wouldn't have been close. Jesus is outside of Judea. It would have been a day's journey and yet Mary and Martha send word to their Lord in hopes to find healing for their brother. And in their last ditch effort, the words that they send with the messenger, the words that they speak to the messenger to go find Jesus, that he might relay the information to the Lord is this, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Think about that for a second. Mary and Martha, in a last resort effort to find healing for their brother, don't appeal to Jesus to heal Lazarus based on everything that Lazarus has done. They don't call Jesus and say, will you heal our brother because of all the accomplishments and good deeds that he's done. Mary and Martha ask for Jesus to help based on who Jesus is. The appeal for the Lord and Savior to heal their brother is not because Lazarus was a great guy, but because Jesus is a great God. 
And Jesus hears this word. He hears the messenger, and he replies back and says this. This sickness will not end in death. The sickness will not end in death. And after saying this to the messenger, Jesus talks with his disciples, and he actually says, we're going to stay put. We're going to stay where we're at for two more days, which is interesting when you begin to consider that it would have taken a day's journey for that messenger to get to Jesus. Jesus then decides he's going to stay put for two more days, day three, day two and day three, and then a fourth day when he would begin to travel to where Lazarus would be. When we understand that timeline, it actually makes sense when later in the story it says that as Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. But we want to think a little bit more because if this timeline is correct, then what that means is that as Jesus got word that the one whom he loved was sick, the one whom he loved was already passed. As Jesus is hearing the messenger say, Lord, the one that you care for, your friend has fallen ill, it's most likely that Lazarus had already passed and been buried, which means as Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. He's not a liar. No, Jesus just knows something that they didn't, and he's doing something that the people would need to see. Mary and Martha are mourning, and and lots, the story says that lots of people gathered with them to mourn over the loss of their brother. Finally, as Jesus begins to make his way to his friends, Martha gets word, and Martha runs out to meet him, and running to him, she says, Lord, if only you had been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, seeing her, hurting with her, he says, no, your brother will rise again. And in faith, I think faith, Martha replies, and she goes, well, I know my brother. He'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. I know just as all the saints will be resurrected like your glory that you'll bring them back, I know that one day he will rise, but this isn't what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is doing something, and he knows something. You see, Jesus is about to make a statement, and after talking with Martha, He sends for Mary, Martha's sister. So Martha goes back. She talks with Mary. She says, Mary, you've got to go see Jesus. He's here. The teacher is calling for you. And hearing that Jesus was calling for Mary, Mary runs to her Lord. She falls at his feet, and she too says, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If if you would have been near, things would be different. If you had been here, this, this wouldn't have gone down how it did. But we know that's not true. Because Jesus' power to heal his people isn't dependent on his proximity to them. Jesus' ability to heal as the savior of the world isn't based on a geographical location or how close he is physically. Just a few chapters earlier in John, Jesus heals the official son in John 4 from a distance. You see, I think it's intentional that Jesus didn't show up at the beginning because Jesus is about to display his divinity. Jesus is about to demonstrate who he is. It's a platform that he will stand on and announce to the world who he truly is. But go with me here for a second because I also think it's intentional that Jesus did show up when he did, that he talks with the sisters that he calls for them because Jesus is a God who wants to walk with them. He wants to be with them. He wants to mourn with them. He wants to weep with them. The scriptures say that Jesus wept because Jesus isn't a God who's afraid of the hurt of this world. He's not a God who's afraid of the pain of this world or the chaos, the wailing, the struggle, the anxiety, the depression, the hardship, or even the death. No, because he's not a God who takes the path of least resistance. In fact, Jesus is the one who's willing to step into that resistance on our behalf because he wants to walk with us. Jesus actually wants to enter into this life with you, to be with you, to cry with you, to weep with you because he's not afraid of the death of this life because he is who he says he is when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And after talking with Mary and Martha, Jesus moves towards the tomb. And in front of the tomb, he says, take the stone away. Martha interjects. She goes, no, Lord, it's it's too late. He's dead. 
The, the smell alone is too much, don't do this. But Jesus isn't afraid of the stench of death and he's not afraid of the stench of our sin. And thinking to himself, he knows that Mary might have anointed him with perfume, but Jesus is about to anoint the world with new life. And he asks for the, stool, the, to, the, the stone to be rolled away. And as it was moved, in a loud voice, Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the God who created in the beginning and stepped into that creation, called out and said, Lazarus, come out. And as the voice of the Creator echoed through the tomb, the dead man came out. Strips of linen and cloth on him, the dead man came out. This is what we as followers of Christ believe, that the voice of Jesus is the one that can pull a soul out of a pit. The voice of Jesus is the one that echoes into the death of this world. The voice of Jesus is the voice that saves because the voice of Jesus is exactly who it claims to be. Before the tomb, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, it's in front of the tomb that had a stone that was moved away that Jesus made a statement, but the beautiful thing is that this isn't just a statement, it's also a promise. And a promise that we shouldn't forget. Oh, you brought 
It was at the tomb of Lazarus that Jesus performed a powerful miracle, but then he made a bold statement. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will what? Will live in front of a tomb. He said, you will live even though you die. Jesus claimed that those who believe in him will overcome the grave. He said that those who trust in him, for them, death will not have the final say. In Christ, you can find everlasting life, eternal life. And to prove his point, to legitimize his claim, he performed a miracle. He gave a supernatural sign. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Here at Fellowship Rogers, we've been studying the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, aiming to reveal and clarify his identity, Jesus gave seven statements, all beginning with a sacred phrase, the phrase, I am. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate that leads to life. He said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And then there's that fifth statement. I am the resurrection. In the future, he'll say, I am the way. He'll say, I am the vine. But it was at the funeral of Lazarus. With the backdrop of a grave that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, where he performed the miracle. Now, what happened at the tomb of Lazarus, both the statement made and the miracle performed, validated the authenticity of Jesus' messianic claim. His words and his demonstration of divine power legitimized his profession of being the Savior. You might even say this. That the miracle performed at the tomb of Lazarus was his greatest and his most powerful demonstration of his divinity up to that point in his ministry. And it also proved to be controversial. You see, at that point, many, many started to believe in him. But also many wanted to get rid of him. What happened at Lazarus' tomb outside of Bethany was a pivotal moment. When Lazarus walked out of that grave, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day made it a point to put Jesus in a grave of his own. And just a few weeks later, they did. They bribed one of his followers named Judas to betray him. They falsely accused Jesus and placed him under arrest. Once in their custody, they beat him and they mocked him, and in a rigged trial, they pronounced him guilty. They sentenced him to death, and they crucified him on a hillside on the outskirts of Jerusalem. After his death, his followers came and 
requested that they take care of the body. And upon receiving it, they placed it in a tomb and rolled a large stone in front of it. So let's move from the tomb of Lazarus to the tomb of Jesus. The story is told in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 6, like this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the, woman, the women took spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. It was the third day. The Sabbath had passed. Several of Christ's followers went to the tomb to prepare his body for final burial. They came to grieve. They came to say their final goodbyes, to find closure. But when they got to the tomb, they were shocked to find that it was empty. The stone had been rolled away. The body of Jesus was nowhere to be found. And then suddenly, before their confusion about an empty tomb could dissipate, two angels appeared. They were wrapped in light. The women bowed before them in reverent fear. And the heavenly messengers both asked a question and made a declaration. Why do you look for the living among the dead? They asked. He is not here. He has risen, they proclaimed. It was an epic announcement from these angelic beings. Jesus was not dead. He was alive. The tomb was empty. He had overcome the grave. Death could not hold him, and he had risen just as he said. With this announcement, the angels brought clarity to the immediate context of the moment. The reason the body was missing was not because it had been stolen it was resurrected. This was incredible news, a joy-filled discovery, an announcement that would change all eternity, an announcement that would change your life and my life. Jesus had conquered the grave. He had risen from the dead. It was a fulfillment of his claim that he made at the tomb of Lazarus when he said, I am the resurrection. It was and it is the greatest turnaround story in the history of mankind. Against the backdrop of death and calamity, in the midst of grief and sorrow, hope and life and joy, darkness was overcome. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If, if you believe in me, you will live even though you die. He didn't just say those words. He lived them. He embodied them. He personified him. The one who claimed to be the resurrection was raised to life. The one who promised eternal life overcame the grave. The one who was crucified on the cross was alive and well. And in this powerful act, Jesus didn't just experience resurrection. He didn't just validate his claim. He conquered the grave forever. He opened the gates of heaven for you and for me. And on the third day, the words of the prophet Isaiah were fulfilled. Death was swallowed up in victory. The chains of sin were broken. Eternal life was made possible by grace through faith in the resurrected Jesus. You know, the resurrection assures us that our penalty of sin was completely paid that the wrath of God was completely satisfied. God gave his stamp of approval, his paid in full on the invoice when he raised Jesus from the dead. He approved of the redemptive work when he seated him in the heavenly realms at his right hand. Because of the resurrection, he imparts new life to those who believe. By faith, we are raised to walk in newness of life. Because of the resurrection, we live with the promise that we too, one day, will experience our own resurrection when we cross over to the eternal state. And check this out. This victory was once and for all. It was final and complete to any who would repent and believe. You could say it this way, that eternal hope is found in the empty tomb. Victory over sin and death. 
removal of guilt and shame, the promise of eternal life realized. In the empty tomb, we have a preview of what is to come for you and for me if we've placed our faith in the Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Father God, today we thank you for an empty tomb. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus and for the hope that that brings to each one of us. We thank you for reminding us that death doesn't have the final say. We thank you for reminding us that sin and evil and death has been swallowed up in victory. We thank you for reminding us that there is light and life on the other side of this dark and evil world. We thank you for a resurrected Savior. Praise be to God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our living hope, we see. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my Stand. Let's declare this together. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The Crosses spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living. We praise his name, we sing.
their salvation in his name this morning. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. So let's praise his name together. There's a third tune that we need to talk about this morning. We heard the story of the tomb of Lazarus and we visited the tomb of Jesus. But we need to talk about your tomb. It's inevitable. We all end up there. 
It's one thing that we all have in common this morning is that we have a limited number of days on earth. And it's interesting that the significance of the message of Easter, the bright colors, the fresh flowers, the new clothes, the resurrection shoes, the new life is only made possible because it is contrasted with death. The Easter story originates in a graveyard. At Fellowship Rogers, over the last three weeks, we've had several difficult, even surprising or unexpected funerals. There's been a lot of prayers, and a lot of tears, and a lot of hugs. And to be honest, over the last few weeks, the authenticity of our faith claim has been tested. We've been forced to ask the question, do we really believe this? And it's a question that Jesus asked as well. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never Die. Think about what Jesus is declaring here. That in our darkest moment, on our last day, when we breathe our final breath, do you believe that he is able to deliver on his promise of eternal life? Do you really believe that you will conquer the grave? Do you really believe the promise of Jesus? Or is this Easter and resurrection story just some ancient doctrine that warrants our cultural affiliation by token attendance or acknowledgement? Bible commentator Warren Wearsby said this, when you're sick, you want a doctor and not a medical book or formula. When you're being sued, you want a lawyer and not a law book. Likewise. When you face your last enemy, death, you want the Savior. Not a doctrine written in a book, but in Jesus Christ, the doctrine is made personal. Because there will come a day for every one of us when these words, these promises are all we have. In your final days, you cling to hope. And hope is found in Jesus. Look at the last Four words of the passage. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Those last four words, he asks a question. He offers a challenge that echoes through the ages to this very moment. Do you believe this? Do you? Are you at peace with your eternity? If today was your last day on earth, are you absolutely certain that you would walk into the arms of the Savior? Jesus said, the one who believes in him will live. That means that our response to Jesus, the risen Savior who died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave, our response is simple, to believe. But it's not cheap belief. It's more than intellectual agreement. It's more costly than distant affirmation. It has more weight to it than cultural affiliation. It's belief that changes us from the inside out. It's transformational faith. Belief that turns from sin into the Savior. Belief that compels you to turn your back on your old way of life. And to pledge allegiance to the one who was sent to die in your place. It's belief that accepts our guilt and asks for forgiveness. Belief that proclaims acceptance of Jesus as the only one who can offer peace and eternal life. Do you believe this? It's a question that we all must answer. The risen Savior promises you eternal life. He has paid your debt. He has conquered the grave and he's gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you. Will you respond to his gracious offer? And I want to invite you to do that right now in this moment. To answer 
the question. I want to give you an opportunity to confess or to affirm your belief. Let's do so in prayer. Would you pray with me? And if you know Jesus Christ in this moment, affirm your faith. The question is still before you. Do you believe this? Do you still believe it? Go to the Savior and confirm your confession. Uphold your faith and prayer and gratitude and worship. And if you're here today and you're unsure, you just don't know with certainty about your eternity, you wrestle with your faith, you're unsure of whether you will go to heaven. Jesus says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks you, do you believe this? And if you do, pray these words in the quiet of your heart after me. If you're ready to trust Christ for all eternity, say these words. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to follow you and your word from now on. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for the empty tomb. I accept your invitation to eternal life and believe you will receive me into heaven. Lord Jesus, resurrected Savior, I pray that you would receive these prayers as an act of worship and an offering worthy of who you are. Lord, I pray for our church, this community of believers, that we would live with resurrection hope every day. Thank you for these moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us and we'll sing our way out this morning. Death could not you to come back next week. Um, we'd love to get to know you. We have people in the foyer with, with lanyards, name tags. We'd love to meet you and tell you a little bit more about who we are as Fellowship Bible Church, the body of Christ. If you want to learn more about the resurrection, we have a class coming up soon in defense of the resurrection. It will give us some answers from God's word and help with our faith and our belief. And this morning we have the Stebbins in our prayer room. If you would like prayer this morning, you can go back this way to your right and the Stebbins will be there and others to pray with and for you. Would you go in peace and celebrate the resurrection of Christ this week? Have a great week.